0: Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension in Macomb, Illinois, and today we are going to be talking about mushrooms, and I am joined by uh, my co-host here. We have Katie Parker. Hey, Chris. Hey, Katie. How are things going in Quincy?
1: Oh, they're going well. We've gotten rain the last couple of days, which is much needed.
0: Yes, I've heard sweet corn, beans, things like that have been planted and some have even started germinating and coming up in the fields.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I met with um, Mike Grokey the other day um, and he used to be in my position in Quincy. Uh, and he said that they've gotten all their sweet corn planted. Um, so soon enough, we'll have some sweet corn that we can enjoy in our homes.
0: Fantastic, thank you, Katie. And we're also joined by our other co-host, Ken Johnson in Jacksonville. Hey, Ken. Hello. So Ken uh, is just a little bit uh, east of Quincy and a little bit south of where I am in Macomb. How are things going in Jacksonville for you today?
2: It's it's nice and sunny. we got some rain too, so things are perking up and and looking good.
0: Fantastic. All right, and today our topic, as I said, is mushrooms, and our special guest is Michelle Berg-Vogel. Hi. Hey, Michelle, how's it going?
3: Good, how are you?
0: Good. And. Good. tell us your title. You work with Extension, uh, and just tell us what what do you do for Extension?
3: Um, Yeah, so I am an Ag and Natural Resources Program Coordinator. That's my title. Um, And I work um, with the Calhoun, Cass, Green, Morgan, and Scott unit. That's uh, the same unit Ken is in. Um, I work Uh, I have kind of a unique position in Extension. I work um, through a local partnership with an environmental center. So it's kind of a dual position with the University of Illinois Extension and with this environmental center um, in Campsville, which is in Calhoun County. Um, We are the Macaulay Heritage Project. And it's a private nonprofit environmental center with about 940 acres. Um, and about 870 of that is forested. So I do a lot of forestry type programming, agroforestry, um, that sort of thing. And I work with the master naturalists and I work with the master gardeners as well as a program coordinator.
0: And and so, you know, with the topic of mushrooms, is that something that you deal with as part of that job or is this something that you enjoy doing at home uh, for yourself?
3: Uh, Both. Um, Well, yeah, so the growing of the mushrooms, uh, the cultivated mushrooms, is an agroforestry practice. Uh, So some of it has to do with uh, like timber stand improvements. So if you're doing cleaning up your woodlands, uh, you can use some of that waste wood to grow mushrooms on. Um, And so that's kind of really where it all started was through some of the agroforestry education that I do, and then um, I, uh, I also love to grow things, and I like to h- help people uh, kind of learn how to grow things on, for themselves, and so, you know, so we've turned it into, uh, you don't necessarily have to have the woodlands in order to grow these mushrooms if you want to grow them in your backyard. Um, we can sort of help you learn how to do
0: that. A lot of folks, when they think of going and picking mushrooms or eating mushrooms, it's either picking them out of the produce section of the grocery store or going into the woods and finding the elusive morale mushroom. So, but you're talking about cultivating mushrooms utilizing, uh, say, some type of could be a waste product from uh, some forestry work, uh, or are you specifically selecting? types of uh, wood material or different tree species to cultivate and grow mushrooms at home?
3: Um, In the case of uh, growing so we grow we grow a number of different kinds of mushrooms Um, and and some of them need to be on uh, green wood so freshly cut trees Um, and those are the shiitakes um, and and um, So, yes, so we are selecting specific wood um, to use for those. There's a number of different kinds of wood that you can use use for those, but it does need to be a green wood in order to do that. Um, We also grow oyster mushrooms on wood, but you can grow oyster mushrooms in a number of different mediums. So if you don't have access to, say, a tree that you can cut down, um, you can grow oyster mushrooms in straw. Um, and you can grow oyster mushrooms on rolls of toilet paper, which I am actually doing right now. So,
0: When folks are, say, if they want to be starting a mushroom cultivation operation, what are some things that you recommend that they could use, uh, it, either something they could find in their yard, or do they need to order things online? How do folks get started in growing mushrooms?
3: So you do need to order the mushroom spawn. So starting the mushroom spawn yourself, the mushroom spawn is, you know, it's not really the seed, but it's really what you're going to use to start growing your mushrooms. And that is something that needs to be done in a very controlled environment. So, I mean, you're talking about funguses, right? And so you want to have something that's just that pure, pure spawn that you know is going to produce and so that is something that you would need to order from um from somebody who produces that who's a professional at producing that and then um you know so you order the spawn and then you plant it in whatever medium you're you you're going to use to grow your
0: mushrooms what what is spawn is it some is it, is it like a goop or is it a dust what 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 do we get when we order spawn
3: uh so it is uh, there's a couple of different kinds of spawn so it is a live product and so uh they the the companies will grow it either in sawdust so they're they're essentially just beginning the the baby mushroom colony right in like a block of sawdust and so that sawdust is acting as the medium for that spawn um to To keep it alive until it can be planted into wherever it's going to actually live and grow. Um, so they use sawdust. Um, they use uh, grains uh, like wheat grain um, for some of the mediums for growing the spawn. And then sometimes you can get spawn that is is growing in little uh, wooden pegs. And so. Um, And then, you know, and then those have to be essentially planted into whatever medium you're going to use them in. So sometimes those pegs are planted into soil um, for certain kinds of mushrooms, um, but like in the ones that we grow, they would be planted into a a log of wood. Um, Or there's a couple, with the shiitakes, they get essentially planted into a log. Um, Some of the other ones are uh, a few different methods of doing it, like the oysters are a little bit different in different ways you can do them.
0: So if I'm listening and I'm just starting out, uh, I'm going to go order my spawn online. What mushroom, what type of mushroom would you say I should start out with? What would be, I don't know, if, if I'm not so sh- I've never done this before. Uh, tell me the maybe the easiest one. I hate that question when someone tells me what's the easiest thing to grow. It's like, well, it, it all kind of depends. But, <laughs> but Michelle, I'm going to ask you that question anyway. So, what is the easiest or where should we start if we're just beginning our mushroom journey?
3: Um, I think if you're just beginning, uh, what I would say is that the oyster mushrooms are probably the easiest to grow. And one of the reasons for that is that they will. They will grow on a lot of different mediums. Um, so, so normally or naturally, I guess they would grow in softwoods, and so like a softwood tree. Um, and so, uh, so the medium that you can use for that is probably so. There's like a lot of different things that can mimic a softwood tree. Um, and so you can grow oyster mushrooms, uh, like like I said, in a roll of toilet paper. Um, so essentially, you're taking that roll of toilet paper and you're turning it into a soft wood log. Or you can grow oyster mushrooms in coffee grounds. Oyster mushrooms in uh, you probably could grow oyster mushrooms in shredded paper or cardboard. Um, you could grow oyster mushrooms in straw. Um, and so, uh, and then, and they will grow fairly quickly once you get the spawn and you get the medium all set up and, you know, follow the directions and stuff. They will grow fairly quickly. So I would say if you're just starting out and you really just want to grow mushrooms, um, getting some oyster mushroom spawn would be the best place to start.
0: And then where do I put this stuff? I put it in the garden? I Does it need to go inside, in the garage? What's Where do you keep your mushroom growing operation?
3: Uh, so the, uh, the little toilet paper roll uh, mushrooms that we grow, uh, they just stay in the house. So they go into the cupboard. So you essentially, like I said, you're kind of planting this spawn in whatever the medium is. Um, and so, and, then, and then it needs to grow, so it needs to take over that medium in order then to, to, to fruit into a mushroom. So um, those stay in the house, so they do need, um, you know, they can go in your basement or your garage or whatever if you've got an ick factor, but, um, but I just stick them in a box in the corner or you can stick them in the cupboard or whatever, so they need to go into the dark for four to six weeks, um, and then then you can just grow them on your tabletop. Um, and and a lot of these places that sell the mushroom spawn actually sell tabletop kits, and those are essentially just big blocks of mushroom spawn that will eventually just fruit into mushrooms. Um, so that's probably really the easiest way to start. But um, and the same with your coffee grounds. If you're doing coffee grounds, you can do those inside. And so, um, but you. If you're doing logs or if you're doing, say, the straw, you can do, um, if you're using straw as a medium, you can do those in, say, five-gallon buckets and uh, put your straw in there and then put your oyster spawn in there. It's a little more complicated than that, but more or less that. And then that would probably be better to do outside. And so you want to do that uh, outside at a time when the You know, you don't want to do it in the middle of the winter. Um, So you want to do it at a time when the temperatures are warm enough that the mushrooms are going to grow.
0: So you talk about moisture. Mushrooms, I've always been told, are not plants. So do I need to water them like plants uh, to just keep the humidity up? What's the best practice for that?
3: So you do need to keep the humidity up. You don't really, you shouldn't need to water them. So um yeah, so so if you're say doing these toilet paper rolls, you need a special bag. So you put them in a plastic bag, but you can get these you get the bags, say when you order this bond, you you want to grow them in in uh, toilet paper rolls. You get a little bag that has a little air patch on it, but it's essentially a plastic bag with very little airflow into it. So you have to remember the mushrooms are living uh, living things so they do need air but they do need a very moist environment so they need that um, or if you're growing them say if you're doing the coffee grounds um, you would put them in say an old coffee like a one of those cardboard coffee cans uh, that you get your coffee grounds in and then but then you would have holes in that so it would be getting air through that or if you're growing them in a five gallon bucket you would have it sealed up uh but also have air holes in it so you're getting air but you're also keeping it moist so it's a lot like um i know chris you've talked about uh worm composting before if anybody has any experience with uh worm composting it's kind of like a worm composting bin you have to keep you have to give it airflow but you also have to maintain a certain level of moisture
0: oh that's that actually i love hearing comparing it to worm composting because my worm bin is probably the most neglected animal in my house right now. So that sounds like a perfect type of system for me. Uh, But the worms still are composting and eating all of my kitchen scraps. So they still are doing their job even though I don't have to pay too much attention to them.
3: Right. And there probably are some funguses working in there in your worm bin as well. Not mushrooms, but uh, some kind of funguses.
0: Yeah, you mentioned mushrooms and, and fungus and so when we inoculate our toilet paper rolls or logs or straw with the spawn basically we're growing the the body of a fungus which you, you know that that's not necessarily the the as you mentioned a fruiting body which is the the mushroom that we're harvesting from. So it, do you have to um what do, what do you see when you're either growing these in the toilet paper rolls what is that body of that fungus look like
3: so essentially what will happen is um, the the you put the when you do the toilet paper rolls or the spawn uh, or or the straw uh, you you want to more or less pasteurize that medium so you're gonna you're going to the toilet paper rolls you want to you want to add moisture for one thing but you also want to not sterilize it necessarily but kind of kill most of the things that are going to be living in it and competing with the the mushroom so um so you're going to do that um you're going to put the mushroom spawn in there and then you're going to put it in the dark uh like i said and what will happen is the mycelium which are kind of like the roots of the mushroom right they're they are the living body like you said and the mushroom is the fruit part right so the mycelium will begin to take over that medium and start living throughout it. So when you do the toilet paper rolls, it just kind of turns into this white, it's not gooey, but it's sort of a white, almost rubbery uh, mass. And you can still tell it used to be a toilet paper roll, uh, but it'll just be covered in this mass of white mycelium and um, it'll kind of look like a frosted cake. Um, but it will smell like a mushroom. Uh, so um, yeah, so that's what happens. And then when you then you have to uh, after after it grows like that, then you will actually uh, s- simulate a seasonal change. So you put it in the fridge for two days and then it will actually then it'll start to fruit and then those fruits will start to grow out just randomly sort of out of the 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 layer cake.
0: I just think that's fascinating, The how these fungi, how they work, and these how they decompose living material. And then this is such a great thing to use with all the toilet paper rolls that we've hoarded now for the last month or two. So I think I need to order some, some spawn for some oyster shell mushrooms now. Hmm put that next to the worm bin so you've given us a lot yeah. of good ideas michelle i would i do want to ask you though uh, you know what are you, are you growing any right now and like what's your favorite uh way or favorite uh type of mushroom to grow and eat
3: so i um we are we do have so here at the macaulay heritage project we have uh we have shiitake mushrooms mushroom logs growing so the shiitake mushrooms grow in hardwood species And so those logs, once you plant the mushrooms in those logs, those logs will last anywhere from three to, depending on the size of the log and conditions and whatever, they'll last from three to eight years. Um, And so we currently have a couple hundred logs here at the Macaulay Heritage Project. They are not fruiting yet. We'll probably be getting some cold season ones uh, fruiting soon. and so the shiitakes really are one of my favorites uh, because, um, well, they are part of that agroforestry thing. So they're part of kind of like part of our timber operation here, um, and and they are long term. So we were just talking about these toilet paper logs where you get the oyster mushrooms, right? Well, that's fun and it's quick, uh, but you're getting say one meal's worth of Oyster mushrooms, and then your logs. Well, you might get another fruiting or something from that, but then your logs essentially spent. But with the shiitakes, you can actually long term. You can farm them. Um, you can force them to grow, um, and then they're they're just a they're a, a sort of prized uh, culinary mushroom. So um, so they're my favorites. How long does it take
1: to start producing mushrooms from spreading of the spawn to, like, actual production of the mushroom?
3: So, um, yeah, so it usually takes, so if you're just doing, like I said, like if you're doing one of those ho- little home projects, like the toilet paper rolls or the growing them in coffee grounds or even doing the straw um, with the oyster mushrooms, it'll, it'll maybe be six weeks um, and to get mushrooms for those, and so that's probably that's your quick, that's your quickest. Um, and then if you're if you're inoculating logs, so essentially you're planting the mushrooms into logs. Um, it's at least six months. So we usually do our logs. Um, you want to cut the trees in the winter time when they're dormant. And then, so we usually do them in l- early spring, late winter, early spring. And then we might get a fruiting that first year. Um, but we might not get a fruiting it until that next spring. So it's six months to a year before you actually get a fruiting for your shiitakes. Um, and so, and that's one reason why you kind of, Want to do some every year, so you can kind of get like, uh, uh, like a cycle going where you have you're kind of doing logs every year. Um, so yeah, so it is kind of an operation in patience. I will say that. Um, and then there's another kind of mushroom that I have just started growing and planting. Um, and that is a wine cap mushroom, and that's also kind of depending on when you do that. And those you grow in wood chips. You can just do like a bed of wood chips. So if you have a garden that's mulched, you could do um, get some wine cap spawn, and then you would put it in your wood chips and mix it up in there, and then they would feed off of that. And those will grow probably, again, another at least a few months before, depending on when you plant them in the year, but um, at least – at least a few months, probably six months to a year before you get fruiting off of those as well.
1: Do you find that the taste of the mushrooms differs with, your like, your growing medium? Say, if you grew mushrooms on wood versus the toilet paper rolls, would they taste differently?
3: Um. So the oysters, which the oysters are the ones you would grow on the toilet paper rolls. You couldn't grow shiitakes that way. Um... Probably not. They're a fairly mild-tasting mushroom anyway. I'm not sure that I'm that much of a connoisseur. I do know that there have been sort of some taste test studies done with the shiitake mushrooms that uh, that show or, you know, the indication is that shiitake mushrooms grown in the woods on wood Um, and not sort of farmed in in a basement, uh, you know, in a different type of growing medium actually do taste better. Um, And I, you know, I think that, I I think that that seems to be the indication with almost everything you grow, right? Most things that are sort of grown in a more industrial setting as opposed to the home garden, the, they don't necessarily taste as good and part of that is when they're harvested and how they're harvested and, and varieties and stuff like that too but just sort of growing out in the soil and in the real sunshine probably makes a difference
0: so I'd, I'd probably be um fired if i didn't ask this question because it is the season for morels and folks are going out mushroom hunting right now michelle uh Tell us any tips, or do you do you know of any, Can you you know tell us your spot that you go and look? Uh, what what do you think about uh, morel mushrooms and hunting for those?
3: So, uh, yeah, so here's the thing. People think that they have to go out in the woods in order to find morel mushrooms, but um, I honestly, every year, usually find them right outside the, the door of my office. There is a crab apple tree, and I usually get four or five really beautiful mushrooms from under that crab apple tree. And then um, outside the door of my house, I have some uh, Siberian elm trees. Uh, So, you know, the the non-native elms. Um, And uh, I find mushrooms under there as well. So, uh, you know, and elms are a fairly common one that people say that they will find them under, uh, they will say they will find them under ash and uh, sycamore, and and it, it, it is not uncommon uh, to find them in old apple orchards, um, and, but, but you don't necessarily have to go out into the woods to find them. You can actually find them in your backyard.
0: Okay. Well, thank you very much, Michelle. Um, we do appreciate all the information that you provided us on starting mushrooms at home, going to look for mushrooms, Um, If folks have questions, they can send them in to us, and we can follow up with you and and have you on a future show, help us answer some of these uh, homegrown mushroom questions. So thank you very much for being on the show.
3: Good. Thank you
0: thanks Michelle this is also a question and answer show folks so feel free you can send us your questions our emails are going to be in the show notes below feel free to get in touch with your local Extension office also but we do have some questions that have come in from around the state that we have solicited from online and our own co-workers so Ken I think this first one came from your neck of the woods so what do we have
2: all right we've got Sarah from Jacksonville uh, she's saying, I'm thinking of that buying seeds may be the way to go this year instead of going to the store. I'm assuming to buy live plants, um, although I do love my annual trip to the garden center to buy plants. Um, any suggestions? Uh, and then she followed that up with, um, not entirely sure what they're thinking of getting yet, um, but probably stuff we usually buy, spinach, beans, cucumbers, or zucchini. So any thoughts or suggestions on getting that stuff from seed this time of year?
0: Well, I I do know a lot of the online seed suppliers are throttling back some of their their orders to homeowners. They're focusing a lot on commercial farmers at this point in time with the whole coronavirus uh, pandemic that we're going through at, at the moment. So it might be kind of difficult to get seeds ordered online. Uh, but it, it, that all depends on your source that you are looking at. Um, I know a lot of folks, uh, these companies are also a little bit overwhelmed a bit with some of the amount of orders that have come in. So they are, they're moving staff from taking orders to fulfilling those orders. And, and even so, they are probably also having to practice social distancing. So they can't have as many staff going at, at a time. So online orders could be, you, you can definitely do that, uh, but Garden centers, as far as I know, I don't know, Katie, Ken, if you've heard, they they should still be open. Um, And I know the ones in my neck of the woods are practicing social distancing, no contact, um, ordering and pickup. So I don't know, Katie, Ken, have you seen anything like that in your neck of the woods?
1: Yeah, so there's all kinds of options to go to your local box store and get seedling or buy seed. Um, And so that's a great option. You can usually have infinite um, possibilities or options to choose from when you do go to those stores and buy your seed. And it seems like they have uh, a good amount of seed there, uh, so they shouldn't be running out.
2: Yeah, as far as I know here in Jacksonville, you can still get seed. Um, and as far as like the, the stuff they're thinking about getting, all of that stuff um, would be fine to go direct seed into the ground. Um, you know, if you're going to do tomatoes or something like that, it, it, you're probably too late trying to start those from seed. Um, you'd, try, you'd probably better off trying to hunt down transplants. And if you can go to you know the garden centers and stuff, you know, they should still have those transplants there. All right, the next question we have. Um, so we have somebody who has a vole problem at their new house. Uh, they're wanting, wanting to try to get it under control. Uh, the house uh, they just bought, has vole holes and paths all over, some near the foundation of the front uh, and side of the house and some out in the middle of the yard. Any suggestions for what they can do?
0: So this is a common question that we usually get after winters where we've had lots of snowfall for prolonged periods of time. The snowfall provides really good cover for for rodents and specifically voles. They can do a lot of damage to lawns and gardens. uh, And really, orchards can be a big issue also because they are... They're herbivorous, they, they eat grains, they eat uh, plants, uh, so they, they can do a lot of destruction or a lot of damage while they have that snow cover. And we don't really send, tend to see it until spring comes around. And voles are also very prolific. They can have lots of babies, uh, multiple generations in a year. And so usually the thing that we recommend in say a home garden setting, if you do have a vole problem, uh, is pretty much first promoting natural predation Uh, So pretty much everything wants to eat a vole. You got snakes, you got hawks, um, you even have shrews. Uh, Shrew is a type of rodent that's related to a mole, mole with an M, um, but they they're they're carnivores and so they will actually go after other smaller uh, rodents and insects, things like that. Um, But if say the voles have kind of overcome your lawn or garden, One of the biggest things that I tend to recommend is a multi-catch trap. Um, This is basically a a kind of a box, it's a metal box and it has a little run that goes through the middle of it. You wind it up and you bait that run with uh, some oatmeal, rolled oats, uh, bird seed, anything like that. And as the vole goes into the little run, it flips it into the little holding area inside the trap. Uh, you would place this where you see the vole runs going through the the lawn and you can hopefully if you can locate the actual hole or burrow where they're located you would put that trap right there Uh, and then you would bait it and then make sure that you check that every single morning because um, we don't want to kill them because of exposure uh, either from the cold or heat being in that trap and then folks do ask me how do you get rid of a trap full of uh, of voles Um, I would just follow the manufacturer's directions on that trap of what to do to dispose of them. Um, You know, most uh, extension sources will say that you can put that trap in a five gallon bucket of water uh, and you can drown them that way. So those are the the methods that I tend to recommend. I don't know, um, Michelle, if you have, do you have any uh, suggestions or tips for folks dealing with vole issues in their backyard since you, you do a lot of working with wildlife in your uh, area that you're at?
3: There is um, a really great uh, extension website that's living with wildlife in Illinois, Um, and um, that has tips on how to, you know, just the habits of sort of all the different animals that homeowners would need to, to, to deal with in Illinois. You know, it covers woodpeckers, it covers... It covers bulls, it covers raccoons, it covers all of them. So that's a a pretty good resource for for any of our homeowners.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Michelle. Yeah, uh, the Living with Wildlife website, it's an amazing resource. I use it all the time, especially when we bought our new house and we had raccoons in the attic. So uh, you'll learn a lot of what to do with living with, dealing, kind of tolerating wildlife in and around your house. So... um, Our next question comes from Gail. She is in Champaign County. Uh, She actually sent in a photograph. It's a dwarf Alberta spruce. It's in her yard. There was a a bunch of a large patch of uh, dead uh, areas on the spruce and uh, she just noticed it this spring uh, we kind of in talking back and forth uh, discovered it's probably like a, a spider mite, a needle type mite that more than likely damaged it last year and she's just now seeing it this year with the new spring growth occurring uh, she's kind of wondering though what can she do this year to help protect the spruce from from damage so what do, what do we think about options for her in protecting her dwarf alberta spruce from spider mites
2: so there's probably two possibilities for it, it could be
0: either probably two spot spider mite or her spruce
2: spider mite um, spruce spider mites are typically kind of real high in the spring and early fall is when those populations get real high. Um, two spots probably gonna be more of a summer uh, type issue. So I, first thing I would go out and look and kind of do, do your scouting on that tree, see if they're starting to show up. Um, and when they do start showing up, kind of the first thing you can try um, is just using a kind of a forceful spray of water to knock the mites off the, the tree. Um, and a lot of times that'll do a pretty good job of of keeping those populations fairly low. Um, if they do start to get real high, so again, the spruce spider mite, kind of more of the cooler season, spring and fall, um, you could spray those. Um, kind of the, some of the recommended chemicals would be something with bifenthrin, um, canola oil, clove oil, um, or insecticidal soap. And again, just kind of read the label, it'll tell you how often you need to do it. Um, and if it's spider mites you'd, you'd spray for those typically in the summer when those populations get high. So kind of the key is going to be scouting and, and seeing when they start showing up and then you can kind of go from there and decide um, what management if any you need to take.
0: And next we have a question that came in from Jackson County. Uh, I think it was uh, specifically Murfreesboro. Uh, looks like they are wanting to know about lawn fungus. Uh, they want to know what to do To prevent dollar spot from showing up on their lawn again this year. Um, When when working with lawn diseases I often tell folks well once you've seen the disease it's probably too late to do any type of a a preventative program Uh, and unfortunately most of our fungicides that we would apply to our lawns are preventative in nature they're not curative. So it's good for this uh, homeowner to be thinking about sort of what to do in the future Uh, but for the most part we First, need to know what species of lawn grass you're growing. Dollar spot tends to be a big issue on uh, a high maintenance type turf grass and this is what we would typically see on a a creeping bent grass on say a putting green and a golf course. Uh, Kentucky bluegrass which also is say like a fairway at a golf course something where folks are applying a lot of product Um, and 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 unfortunately it seems like these days you know if you want to put a fungicide down or you want to put uh, pesticide down or you want to put grass seed down there's always seems to be fertilizer included in that so um, you might just want to double check your fertility program and what things you're applying to your yard uh, because you might be encouraging an, an increase in fungal growth and development guys um, uh, some overstimulating the lawn with nitrogen and so double checking that but really there's not too many options available to homeowners when it comes to controlling dollar spot. Uh, it's really mow your lawn high, if it's a cool season lawn, a two to three inch mowing height, uh, mow it often, avoid removing more than a third of the leaf blade at any one mowing and keep those blades sharp. Uh, get a, You actually wanna cut your lawn. You don't wanna rip, tear or shred your lawn. And th- those are really those three practices. Those are like the best things that we can do to prevent diseases on our lawn. But if the disease keeps coming back again and again, that means you have an environment conducive to the development of that disease. And so you can spray all the fungicides you want. If you don't fix that environmental issue, you're going to have it every single year.
2: (laughs) I'm looking at the uh, pest manager for the home landscape. They also talk about um, co I don't know if that's a good option or not. Chris, you're more of a turf person than I am
0: so yeah core aeration that would be a really good option for uh helping to relieve say any drainage issues that you might have uh and and yes that's definitely one of the things they would do on say a creeping bent grass putting green um one of the practices that they do it on a golf course they spray fungicides on a weekly basis but if the problem keeps building and getting worse they would core aerify that lawn to try to help break up some of that the fungal mat that's underneath in the ground all right. So I want to thank once again, Michelle, for being on the podcast. Uh, I think we're going to have a couple more questions trickle in about mushrooms. So Michelle, if you wouldn't mind just coming on again, uh, being a resource for us, that would be fantastic.
3: Okay. Yeah, I'd love to.
0: And thank you, Katie and Ken also, as always joining us. Uh... I'm Happy to do
2: it. <laughs> oh
1: yeah. Thank you, Chris.
0: Yes. Lending their expertise. Um, into helping us all grow a little bit better in our backyards and also want to thank everybody for listening uh if you do have questions again you can contact us uh via email uh we uh, if, if you do contact us uh please let us know where you're located at in the state of illinois or where on the planet that you might be uh location is key when it comes to helping answer home gardening questions um so but anyway thanks again for listening keep on growing